Bibles open to Revelation 12, Revelation chapter 12, and uh, we may be able to keep the youth in here, the uh, nursery age in here, but uh, let's go ahead and get settled. Get your Bibles open to Revelation 12, young people, Revelation 12, old people, if there are any old people, if anybody wants to claim that, Revelation 12, we're going to talk about overcoming here, overcome, the overcomer, Revelation 12. Revelation 12. And we're going to read down uh, verses 1 through 8. And then uh, we're going to, actually, we're going to read it all here. I'm going to start off, but I want to be a blessing and encouragement here to you. I want you to claim here this, uh, this truth from God's Word. And, and I, think, I think for the most part, if you've, if you've been involved, if you've been saved for any period of time and, and um, you... You've heard these truths here, but there's a difference between hearing it and then receiving and letting it sink in and just kind of, uh, I guess, letting it permeate you, letting it to sink in and, and, uh, and, and to, to I've, I've heard somebody say this, some things are better caught than taught. And I think that's true. Soul winning is better caught than taught. You can, you can get lessons on how to lead somebody to the Lord, but until you're actually sharing the gospel with somebody, you're not going to fully grasp it. You're, you haven't caught it yet. Um, and uh, these truths in here of God's Word, many truths from God's Word, they need, to be, they need to be caught, not just taught. I'm not just trying to teach you some facts here uh, this evening, but want the truths from God's Word to permeate our souls Revelation 12, beginning in verse number 1, uh, John, of course we know, uh, disciple, John the Revelator speaking, and he's talking about the end times, end of the world here, uh, but uh, we're not going to get too much into that. Uh, but in verse number 1 it says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head, a crown of 12 stars. This is the Virgin Mary for all practical purpose here, purposes here in this vision. And Casey and Brooke, I want you to get it. You got your Bibles open? You got your Bible? You get, can you get next to somebody who has one there open? We're going to reference. We want to get into the Bible here. Okay? 12 stars. Number two. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Who is this woman's child? Jesus, our Savior. And so this dragon, this devil, is uh, that's that's what he is wanted to do uh, since Christ was born. 
uh, to devour the child as soon as he was born. He was unsuccessful at that. Uh, but now his goal is to keep uh, people from getting saved. Aaron, the devil's job is to keep people from getting saved now. Are you listening? The devil's job is to keep people from getting saved now. He doesn't want people to get saved. And if he can succeed at that, which, praise the Lord, um, he has, if you are saved, he's, he's been unsuccessful at keeping you from uh, getting saved. Uh, but if he, if he is unsuccessful at that, the next thing that he wants to do, he wants to keep you from amounting to anything for the cause of Christ. He wants to shame the name of Jesus with your life. He wants to give, he wants you to, he wants to trip you up and, and try to get you to have a bad testimony. He wants to try to get you distracted from serving and living uh, for God. And it says here in verse number four, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had the place prepared for God that they should feed her there a thousand 203 score days and there was war in heaven Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels so we've got Michael um, some would say that he's an archangel there's only one that is specifically called an archangel in the Bible but some say that Michael Gabriel and oh yeah Lucifer uh, some consider those three to be Archangel, somebody I'm missing, Michael, did I say Michael? Yeah, Michael, Gabriel, and uh, Lucifer, uh, but they consider, some consider them, but I think it's only Gabriel, or maybe it's only Michael that's, that's denoted as an archangel in scripture, but nevertheless, Michael and his angels fought against uh, the dragon and his angels, who I believe this to be Lucifer, and it says, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. Talking about Lucifer and his fallen angels here. Let's pray and we'll get into the message. God, I need you this evening. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you'd help us here to grow, help us to be further along as a result of having met this evening. Lord, I pray that, yes, we would receive what you have for us, but May we give you all the honor and glory here as we worship you this day. God, we thank you for the privilege it is to be one of yours. I pray that uh, you'd help us here, help us to see and uh, be uh, and catch this idea of being an overcomer uh, through your power and uh, through you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation 12 is a fantastic chapter in the Bible, and it encompasses a great theme of the Bible. Uh, the world is in desperate need of redemption because of man's fallen nature. And Satan is addressed as the serpent here in this passage, and, and also it's prophesied in Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 15. It says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And in Revelation chapter 12, we see that through Israel, specifically 
through Mary, the Christ child is born, and the devil dedicates all his energies to uh, to go after uh, Christ specifically, but to war against the things of God. And uh, there's war in heaven when Satan first fell, and when uh, there's war in heaven at the end of time, and because the devil cannot defeat the Lord Jesus, he fights Israel and then the church, or the church is, and we see this in Revelation 12, 9 through 10. It records the uh, final defeat of Satan. Let's go ahead and uh, continue on reading here in verse number 9. It says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, and cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down. Now, who's the, the accuser of the brethren? Satan, the devil. The accuser of the brethren, our enemy, he is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. And it's at this point that in Revelation 12 and verse number 11, it explains how we escape Satan's doom. It explains how we escape the uh, the power. We talked about a couple weeks back. We uh, looked and we saw that the devil is considered the prince and the power of the air and uh, the Lord and his sovereignty. He gives him certain uh, certain uh, certain powers here on this earth and and but the world is not our home. And we shouldn't be attached to the things of this world. We should be considering the things of heaven. And while the devil may have some uh, some liberty here on this earth, it is not him that we serve. It's our Lord that we need to look to and be yielded to. And uh, it explains Satan's doom and how we overcome here, how the saints overcome. By the way, if, you, if you've been saved, you're a saint of God, okay? That's what the Bible teaches. You don't, you don't perform a certain amount of miracles to become a saint. The Bible teaches that if somebody's been saved, they are a saint. And the Bible says when, a, when, a, when somebody's passed away, I mentioned this morning, uh, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And so if somebody passes away, that's saved. They, they are precious in the sight of the Lord. But I want you to consider here this evening in verse number 11, this is, it mentions how they overcome. It says, and they overcame, by him, overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. And so we have a threefold uh, process or a threefold way by which we are overcomers of the wiles of Satan. And so first of all, I want you to consider here the word overcome. It comes to us from the Greek word nakeo, which means to subdue, to conquer, to prevail, or to get the victory. And according to 1 John chapter 5, verse 5, all believers are in fact overcomers. Amen? If you've been saved, you've overcome that sin nature that you were born with. God has given you victory, victory over sin, uh, first and foremost through salvation, but then God desires for you to live a victorious Christian life, not, succ not to succumb daily to, to sin and, and be in the ruts of life and, 
And now, now not, not when you get saved, it's not always, you're not always on the mountaintop. There are valleys of life sometimes, but God has given us victory, victory through him. And as we're yielded to him, as we face these storms in life, God will be with us. He'll be there to walk us through the storms. And uh, we don't face them all alone by ourselves. And so God says, we have overcome. It says in 1 John 5, verse 5, who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. And sometimes we need to remember that Christ won the victory on the cross, and therefore we can and we should claim our title as overcomers. 1 John chapter 2, verse 14 says, I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. God says, you've overcome the wicked one. You don't have to succumb to him. I'm not saying, uh, and I believe the Bible teaches that you'll never sin again. That is uh, uh, it's sinless perfection. No. But uh, we do have victory, and when we do sin, we can come to God, and we can confess our sin, and He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, and we can have victory once again. We don't have to stay down and in the dumps, and we don't have to live vic uh, 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 like losers. <laughs> The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so we have victory. We can be overcomers. And there are three ways mentioned in our text here, specifically in verse number 11, that explain how we overcome. And I want you to see that here as we look here line by line, verse by verse, number 11. It says here in verse number 11, the first portion of it, number one is this. We are overcomers through the blood atonement. We are overcomers through the blood of Jesus. Through the blood of Jesus, amen? And I uh, have heard in churches before, when you hear that word blood, whether you're singing about it or whether somebody's preaching about it, man, you ought to get a little bit excited about that because you have victory through the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is what washes your sin away. The blood of Jesus is what gives you the victory. It's through the shed blood of Jesus, the perfect spotless Lamb of God had come through uh, Mary, the virgin, in order to be the spotless Lamb of God. He was without blemish. He was without sin. He didn't have an earthly father that came together with an earthly mother to produce another sinner like you and like me. It was his spotless blood that can wash our sin away, and we need to receive him as our personal Savior. If you examine the hymnal, long enough, you'll find a plethora of songs that speak about the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's more that are not listed in the hymnal as well, but just a few of those saved by the blood of the crucified one. Now ransomed in, uh, from sin and a new uh, work begun. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? There's the cleansing wave. And when I see the blood, I will pass. I will pass over you. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. And the Bible's a book that is filled 
with blood. I've heard that if you look through, you'll find the blood on every page contained in Scripture from cover uh, to cover. And Christianity is a bloody religion, by the way. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ that we can and are saved if you're saved. And so why is the blood so important, though, Pastor Sam? Number one, because the blood speaks of forgiveness. The blood speaks of forgiveness. In Hebrews chapter 12, I'm going to give you these references here, but I'm not going to give you time to turn. Uh, so you can write them down if you'd like. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, the Bible says, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. I remember an old commercial. It was a Tide commercial, and it said this, Tide gets out what dirt gets in. And only the blood of Jesus can get out anything that sin puts in. There's another old song that I love that says this, Praise the Lord for full salvation. God still lives upon his throne. And I know the blood still reaches deeper than the stain has gone. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 12, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. That's the blood of Jesus that has obtained eternal redemption. Why is the blood so important? We're talking about the blood atonement and how to be an overcomer here. It's through the blood of Jesus. Number one, it speaks of forgiveness. Number two, the blood gives us boldness. The blood gives us boldness. What do you mean by that? Hebrews chapter four, verse 16 says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In Hebrews 9, 14, it says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offer himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The blood gives us boldness. How do you know that you're saved, Pastor Sam? Because I received the payment that the blood made for me. There isn't any hymn hawing around that. I know that I received the blood of Christ. And the Bible says that if I received the blood of Christ, the blood is what washes my sins away. The blood is what has washed my sins away. And I received the payment that Christ made on that cross for me. And so I can boldly come unto the throne of grace. I can boldly approach God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. And there are religions out there that can't do that because they're bloodless religions. By the way, I found this in my office. I just brought it up here and I don't want to forget um, Somebody using this to take care of some business with the kids or something? Anybody have any claim to this? Walking stick? This, this isn't going to support Brother Dave. Anyway, <clears throat> the blood of Jesus, the blood gives us boldness. Number three, the blood expresses finality. The blood expresses finality. What do you mean by that? It's through the blood that we're saved once and for all. Saved, always saved. God gave his blood once and for all. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter nine, uh, 10, verse 9, Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. 
he taketh away the first that he may establish the second by the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. As he died on that cross, and he shed his blood, and that blood was sprinkled on that uh, mercy seat there. It was finished. All the sacrifice that ever needed to be made was made and were saved through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It expresses finality. Finality, if that's a, if that's a proper word there. It is to me. Uh, then number two, we see, that we see number one, we see the blood atonement. The second way that we overcome is this, according to the passage in verse number 11, is by our personal testimony. Our personal testimony. Continuing in verse number 11, the Bible says, and by the word of their testimony. And by the word of their testimony. How many have a testimony in here? How many have a testimony of salvation? And you ought to always consider that testimony of salvation. And I think of kids that have recently been saved. We ought to we ought to go over that testimony of salvation with our with our kids frequently. We ought to say, you remember when when you remember when you remember when you got saved? Tell me, tell me about when you trusted Christ as Savior. Do you remember the events that led up to that? Do you remember where you were when you got saved? I think that's a good, healthy uh, thing to do there. Talk about Sammy, and Sammy would say that he remembers being in Arizona in our van, and and he wanted to get saved, and we were outside of Pastor Moffitt's house. We had just pulled up, and we were getting ready for a day of fishing, and and I uh, remember he's like, Mom, Dad, what do I need to do to get saved? <laughs> not Not that harsh, but basically that's what it boiled down to, and I'm not trying to recite their testimonies for them, but we just recently asked them and talked to them about it. And Rocky would say that sometime uh, when we were in Iowa, Spirit Lake, Iowa, we were preaching at the nursing home. And, and I gave the gospel with Alyssa and Sammy and, and uh, Rocky. And I think Canaan was there. Uh, yeah, I don't know if he was doing much help, but, but um, uh, shared the gospel. And, and then we went outside in the same a van, and, and Rocky said, Dad, I raised my hand that I wanted to be saved too. But they overcame by the word of their testimony. I remember at the age of nine, having a sincere desire to want to know Jesus as my personal Savior. I understood that I was a sinner. Nobody had to convince me of that. I understood that if I died without Jesus, that I would go to hell. And I, and I, I called on the Lord. There was a man in a in uh, Awana's on a Thursday evening, and and uh, I went off to the side of the uh, the uh, chapel area into a chair, and he showed me the Romans road, and he showed me John three sixteen that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I bowed my head that evening, and I prayed, and I called on the Lord, and I asked him to save me. Never forget that, and that's my testimony of salvation. Bible says in Luke chapter 18, verse 16, but Jesus called them unto him and said, suffer the little children to come unto him and forbid them not for such is the kingdom of God. 
We ought to have a desire to reach our families and to reach our youth and influence them as early as possible. I'm praying and we pray around the table for Kyler to get saved and and he even prays for himself to get saved. We ought to go over with them and replay, if I can put it that way, their personal testimonies often and in, encourage them. It, it, ought, it not, ought not be a strange thing to, to talk about your salvation. If you're saved, if you're a Christian, it ought not to be a foreign concept if somebody says, asks you, tell me, tell me when you came to know Christ. Tell me when you were saved. Tell me when you got born again. Tell me about your experience of salvation, how and when, how old you were perhaps, where were you when, when you got saved. It ought to be a natural conversation and dialogue within a Christian household specifically, especially. They overcame by their testimony, the word of their testimony, and our faith is not anchored in a church catechism, and our faith is not anchored in baptism or works or a secondhand faith that's borrowed from mom or dad or somebody else or anything like that. But our faith is through Jesus Christ and the personal testimony that we have. We will all stand before the judgment seat as we heard this morning. And if it's that great white throne judgment, which I hope it's not, that great white throne judgment means that you don't have a personal testimony of coming to know the Lord as your Savior. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And Christianity, uh, Christianity is not real in our lives until it's personal. I wonder this evening, what is your personal testimony? What is your personal testimony? Thirdly here, and lastly, and we'll wrap it up, we see how we are overcomers. Number one, we're overcomers through the blood of Christ. Number two, we're overcomers through our testimony, the, the word of their testimony, the Bible says. And then number three, in Revelation 11, it finishes up, it says, and they loved not their lives unto death. They loved not their lives unto death. And so number three, we see, there's some big words for you, the expulsive power of unabated love. The expulsive power to, to get it out of unabated love. Full force love. Full force agape love. And our teens would understand that, I think. The agape love aspect of love. It says in John 21, verse 15, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, uh, lovest thou me more than these? Jesus was asking uh, Simon Peter if he loved him with all his heart, with all his soul, and he's doing that comparison there. You love me more than all these people here. 
after Peter had rejected Christ three times, he gives him another opportunity uh, to, to like prove his love, if you will. Three more times he asks him the question, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, it says, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. And that word charity there is love in action. It is an agape love when, when it's mentioned there. Charity. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Romans 12, 21, Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. I'm going to try to wrap it up here with an illustration, but I want you to listen to this. <clears throat> There's a Christian author here. Thomas Chalmers is his name. You really got to have to pay attention. So give me your attention here, okay? It's, uh, can, it can get you aside. You can you wander off. I even do as I read it, but I want you to catch this here. More than 200 years ago, the saintly Thomas Chalmers he lived from 1780 to 1847. He wrote a message that packs as much punch today as he, the day that he wrote it, and it's entitled, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And we're talking about, the, the whole concept here is the idea of when a person gets saved, they've got a new purpose in life. When a person receives Christ, it's, they pass from death unto life. Amen? And so you've got new purpose. You've got a new priority. Old things have passed away. Behold, all is become new. And so this, uh, this idea of this uh, loving not their lives unto death, it only comes from somebody that's sold out to God. It only is going to happen. We talked this morning about, uh, uh, about the, uh, the, the uh, martyr's crown. I forget. What is it? The crown of suffering? Is that what it was there? And and the crown of suffering, and we talked about crowns that can be earned as Christians, that we'll receive as Christians when we're faithful to the Lord in certain areas of life. And there's the martyr's crown. I know a missionary that um, in Baghdad, Iraq, that recently was killed this past year. He was uh, kidnapped. His family was with him, but he was kidnapped. And then they took him down the road and ended up killing him. I knew him. My wife and I had been to my family and I, we had been to meetings with him on deputation at different churches. And then uh, Mrs. Peach, who's a member here, her, her brother now pastors a church where in 2004, there was a man, Pastor John Kelly, John Kelly, that was visiting Iraq as well. And uh, he was murdered while he was there. I believe the Bible would teach that these men will receive this martyr's crown and it is a crown that's received for suffering, suffering uh, in our lives on this earth for the cause of Christ. And I believe the Bible is teaching that here in Revelation 12, 11, and they loved not their lives unto death. Every one of the disciples that followed Christ during his life, they died a martyr's death, save John. And, uh, but they even tried to kill John. I believe they tried, I believe he was boiled in oil and then he was left on the uh, Isle of 
uh, Patmos, if I'm not mistaken there. And so uh, there is a martyr's crown that can be won. And, and it is it is for those that are sold out. You're not gonna you're not gonna give your life if you're not sold out to Christ. But he said this the expulsive power of a new affection. He opened his argument with these words. There are two ways in which a practical moralist may attempt to displace from the human heart its love for the world, either by a demonstration of the world's vanity, so that the heart shall be prevailed upon simply to withdraw its regards from an object that it's not worthy of it. By setting forth another object, even God, as more worthy of its attachment, so that the heart shall be prevailed upon not to resign an old affection, which shall have nothing to succeed it, but to exchange an old affection for a new one. From the constitution of our nature, the former method is altogether incompetent and ineffectual, and the latter method will alone suffice for the rescue and recovery of the heart from the wrong affection that domineers over it. All right. Chalmers went on to say, such is the grasping tendency of the human heart that it must have something to lay hold of. The human heart desires to be loved. The human heart desires to love. And he's saying that here. It, it, we desire something. Why do people go off and, and, uh, and, be, and be given to alcohol? They're, they're desiring something. They want to they wanna fill a void that hasn't been filled, and they don't know Christ, and so they're reaching and stretching for a substance. And that substance isn't going to give them the peace and the love that they crave and they need. And it's our responsibility to share the love of Christ with a lost and dying world. And it's only Christ that will fill that void. It goes on a little bit here, but I'm, I'm not going to read anymore. It can be a little confusing. Actually, I will. <laughs> and rested away without the substitution of another something in its place would leave a void and a vacancy as painful to the mind as hunger is to the natural system. Here's the illustration. If I want to get the air out of a glass... Okay, then just go along with me. This is the illustration. If I want to get the air, there's air in this glass, okay? There's, there's air in here. See it? Air in this glass. If I want to get the air out of this glass, and I'm not going to take and, and go get a vacuum and try to suck the air out of the glass, what am, what am I going to do? This is for illustration purposes. This is, uh, I'm going to take and, and I can take some water and I can fill that glass up with the water. And I'm filling it up with something and expelling that air. Does that make sense? I'm putting something in and it's, being, it's replacing what was in there. And that's part of the Christian life. As we, when we get saved. And we ought to be, how, how did they, the Bible talks about they love not their lives unto death. How does somebody become so sacrificial, so sold out for God? Well, they've replaced that air with the things of God. They re, they've replaced that emptiness with, with God things. Am I making sense? 
If I want to get the air out of the glass, I don't try to suck the air out with vacuum. With a vacuum, I do something more simple and thorough. I can simply fill the glass with water. How do I eliminate the weeds from my yard? Anybody, anybody out there pulling weeds this year? Um, even I found that as we lay down plastic, we didn't do it, but former owners did. They lay down plastic, put rocks on top of it, and you know that's supposed to be a weed barrier. We're still getting weeds and. And I'll go out there and they're easier to pull because they haven't taken root real deep. But I'm out there, I can, I can pull weeds. But, uh, but how do I eliminate weeds from my yard? I can pull them, yes. How many are so nitpicky you got that little pointy fork little thing and you hate dandelions so much you're out there? Now, if I had one, I might do it, but I'd, I'd get over it real fast. But anybody out there? You know what I'm talking about? The little fork thing to get out the dandelions. Anybody do that? Our neighbors, our neighbors would do that. But I'm just like, you know, they're gonna, they're good for the bees. The flowers are good for the bees, right? You can eat the greens. I haven't, but you can eat the greens. And and uh, but but how do I eliminate weeds from my yard? I can pull them, yes. But I read of one man who eliminated the crabgrass in his yard by nourishing the dandelions. Okay, so he's. He's feeding the dandelions to eliminate the crabgrass. And I'll go a step further and eliminate the dandelions in my yard by nourishing the Kentucky bluegrass. So I'm going to choke out the dandelions. I'm going to choke out all the weeds that I don't want by, by planting more grass, planting more good, and, and trying to overcome that with the good. You know, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so this idea of loving, uh, they love not themselves unto uh, death. It's the idea of putting more of God in. I have the opportunity to go and do foolish things with my life and with my time. But instead of doing that, I'm going to be focused on God and I'm going to put more God things into it here. I'm going to eliminate the bad by a not having time, I don't have time to go to the bar. I don't have time to go to the club. I don't have time to go do any of those uh, uh, wasteful things that I used to do. Now that I'm uh, serving and living for God, I'm going to fill it up with the good stuff. I'm going to empty out that, uh, that air. I'm going to empty out that wasted space. I'm going to put more God stuff in it. I'm going to add more God stuff to my life. I'm going to add more of God, eliminating all the weeds that are no good for my life. And so the overcomer, the overcomer, and here's the point. Let me, let me give you the point again here. Number three was we see the expulsive, the, uh, the expulsive. Anybody ever been expelled? Get expelled? Two, brother Sam, Sal, all right. You're expelled. You're you're ousted from school, right? You're you're pushed out of school, whatever. And so uh, it's the expulsive, the expulsive power of unabated love, the expulsive power of full force love to God. A full force love to God is going to expel the bad stuff. Does that make sense? And so we shouldn't love the world and the things that are in the world. We should be loving and following God and thus choking the, the bad stuff out. 
unabated love is a love that is full strength and a full force and that's got an expulsive power. It's similar to repentance. Now I'm going to be done right here. What is repentance? I got a definition. My definition of repentance as I understand it is this. It is an inward change in the heart and the mind. An inward change in the heart and the mind. But it, but it, but it is uh, reflected outwardly in, in life. And here's the illustration. When somebody gets saved, there needs to be repentance that takes place. Okay? Now, now I don't get deeper than I'm thinking here, okay? But uh, it, it means this. Let's say, here's my life of sin. Here's my plans, my agenda. Uh, but basically, my life of sin. It is when I come to the understanding that I'm a sinner and uh, I need Jesus to save me. And I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And then I turn to Jesus, the only one that can save. And I receive him. And in doing so, I've turned to Christ. And in essence, what have I done? I've turned from that sin. I've turned to Christ. And so now my life is focused, should be focused, on the one that saved me. And so we see the expulsive power of an unabated love. This evening I wonder, how are you overcoming? How are you in your life of overcoming? We've seen here how God has given us the victory. We see how God has told us that we are overcomers. Little ones, if you've been saved, he says, you're an overcomer. But how have we overcome? Through the blood of Christ, by the word of our testimony, and through the expulsive power of unabated love. Let's bow. Father, I thank you for your goodness and grace. I thank you for the victory that you've given us. I thank you for... I thank you for your word, and the only way that I know what, what I preach this evening is because of your word, from your word. Lord, I pray that we would we'd claim that victory, God. I pray that we would desire to walk closely with you, focus on you, desire to live and love and uh, love and live and serve you, and, and may we be focused on you. Lord, this evening is... Uh, we continue and we're about to have our invitation here. God, I pray that you do work on the hearts of your people as only you can. I pray that we'd be further along as a result of having met. Thank you for those here with heads bowed and eyes closed and nobody looking around. I want to ask a few questions by way of invitation. In a moment, the piano will play and I'll ask you to stand and have an opportunity to respond perhaps to the words of the word of God the, as the Bible was preached. But I want to ask this evening, I don't want to go an invitation without asking the most important question, and that is this. How many here would say, Pastor Sam, would you, you're able to say that you know that heaven will be your home someday when your physical body dies. You know that you are saved. You've been born into the family of God. If you're able to say that, would you slip your hand up? That's your testimony. You have a testimony of salvation, would you slip your hand up if you know? Man, you may put your hands down, you may put your hands down. Many hands were up, and 
And uh, but I don't I didn't have a chance to look if every hand was up, but that's between you and the Lord. I do want to ask this this evening. The, the Bible says the Bible says we can know that heaven will be our home. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe in the name that you may believe on on uh, the son of God. And so God wants you to know we don't have to guess or hope or wonder if we're going to heaven. Either we have received Christ or we have not. And so this evening, if you've not received Christ as your Savior, I'd love to encourage you uh, to do that. And, and I can help you. I can help you call on the Lord. I can give you a, a, some words, a prayer to pray. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here this evening, you simply need to understand this and you're not saved. You simply under, need to understand that you're a sinner. The Bible says we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because of that sin, we don't deserve heaven. Heaven is a perfect place. But God doesn't want us to go to hell. He wants us in heaven with him. The only alternative to heaven is a place called hell. And so if we, the way to be saved is by receiving the payment that Jesus made on the cross when he shed his blood. The Bible says he shed his blood because he loved us so much he died so that we don't have to. And that blood that was shed on the altar will wash away all of our sins if we receive it. Now it's essential that that payment be received. And the Bible says to the way to receive that payment is to call on the name of the Lord, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so this evening, if you've never called on the Lord, I want to encourage you to pray along with me. Call on the Lord. Mean this in your heart and ask Christ to save you. Let's pray. Would you say something to the effect of, Dear Jesus, I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross and shed your blood to pay for my sin. And right now, Lord, the best way that I know how, I receive you, the payment that you made. I receive you as my personal Savior to take me to heaven when I die. Lord, would you help me to live for you? Help me to, as I'm a new creature, as I've been born into your family, Help me to live for you. I'm not trusting my works. I'm not trusting a religion, but I wholly place my faith in you as my Savior. In Jesus' name, with heads bowed and eyes closed and nobody looking around, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, and you, would you be willing to lift your hand up so that I could see that? I would rejoice with you. We'd all rejoice with you. Is there anybody in here? You prayed that prayer. You called on the Lord and you asked him to save you. Would you slip your hand up? Anybody at all? Anybody at all?